Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. So this morning, God, I'm praying that you would help me. Uh, because you've sent me here with a task to sow seed. And so, Father, as, as the one who gives the seed, I pray that your seed would come in a bountiful, abundant way and that it would fall on good soil, soil that would then produce a mighty harvest for your glory, I pray, Jesus. That this is a significant time, a significant moment, that what is happening here may be a small act, but it's going to have massive impact. That was at good timing, wasn't it? One of the oldest buildings in Georgetown, Guyana, is the St. Andrew's Kids Presbyterian Church. It was built in 1818. That makes it 198 years old, still standing today. Around 1871, it's recorded that a Reverend Thomas Slater who was a minister at the time in Scotland, left Scotland and traveled across to the West Indies or to the northern parts of South America where Guyana is. And he took on a ministry at the St. Kitts Presbyterian Church. He was married and they had a daughter, um, Elizabeth Slater, who was known as Bessie. Now, Bessie met a man called... Um, Arthur Playfair. Now, Arthur Playfair was a businessman that had also left the UK, gone over to the West Indies, and uh, in his business interests and travels, he met Bessie Slater, and he fell in love with her and married her. Now, Arthur and Bessie Playfair had three kids. Um, their, their first... Um, if I, it was, was Campbell, Carita, and Dorothy. Now, Arthur Playfair got sick after their second child. So sick that a doctor... No, that's the wrong photo, so you're going to have to go back. Just keep it those... That's the one, yeah. So these two um, pioneers... Actually, he got sick, and his doctor recommended that he come to South Africa. And to the climate of Durban. And he came and he recovered in Durban and fell in love with South Africa. Went back, packed up his family and relocated his family to South Africa into Durban. And got involved with some uh, social justice programs around the, the turn of the century, 1900, in the war there, in the war here in this nation. Got involved with refugees and so forth. And business interests eventually led him to uh, Johannesburg. And uh, with his family then, uh, Karita, and now we can go, the, Karita, she met uh, a Mr. Irving. Sorry, let me just get the story right. I've, I've got to get it right, otherwise I'm going to make a real mess of this, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no one knows who Mr. Irving, no one knows anybody, uh, anyway, I don't know why. It's like, who the heck yeah. Actually, it is true. So, Karita met David Irving. Now, David Irving 
was, a, was an elder in a brethren church in Johannesburg. And they got married and, and they had three children. And there was Jimmy, Beth, and Elaine. Now, no, sorry. I know this, we, we, we should have gone through the story, but you can just go back one there. Thanks, okay, leave it there. And so what happened is, is they had three children, and Elaine and Beth, sisters, Beth being the older one, they met two brothers, Dennis and Russell. Now, Russell was the older one, and Dennis was the younger, and Dennis the younger was off the blocks quickly, got hold of the older sister, Beth, and got married. The older brother, who was a bit slower, um, he had to wait for the younger sister, Elaine, to get to 21 before he could marry her. He was 13 years older than her. And as soon as she turned 21, he married her. Now, both these brothers had five children each. Okay? Dennis, the younger brother, became a missionary to Europe in the late 1950s. But the, young, the older brother, Russell, had five children, and now you can put that photo up, and he had those five kids. Um, and then, you could not believe it, but the two older brothers, David and Paul, met two sisters, Swedish missionary kids, and the, what happened? The older married the younger, the younger married the older. In fact, the younger married the older one first, and it was the same kind of history repeating itself. But the fourth child and the third son, he... Um, met a girl, Anne Gray, and they got married and had two kids. And their two kids grew up, and they had two kids about a year ago. And that's my family. Sorry, one more. That's my parents. Sorry, I should have got this right. I, it was late minute. There it is, okay? That's my family. I'm a fifth-generation minister of the gospel of Jesus. I was wrestling this morning because God put the story on me, and I thought, I'm not quite ready. I'm not going to have the photos. And I went down to Mark, and I said, Mark. And then I said, no, look, I'll maybe not do it. And then I walked in, and right here on the, on the seats is sitting. And why don't you just take up that, that um, envelope that you may have there in Psalm 78. Thank you. Got it, yeah. Psalm 78 says this that the generation to come might know God's praiseworthy acts, that the children still to be born might arise and recount them to their children. I'm so grateful that a Sir Reverend Slater left the shores of, of Scotland, went across the seas and pioneered into a foreign nation, and that generations after that, that I'm standing here, minister of the gospel, 22 years later, still a minister. And my kids are about to come into ministry and on eldership. And I'm eternally grateful. Now, you may not have come from a family like mine, but you can be a Reverend Thomas later. I want to speak to this morning just simply in three areas of sowing in summer. This is not uh, the best message I've, I will ever preach. But I don't want to this morning preach the best message that I've preached. I want to preach a message that would be the best message for your life. 
And as you, as a church, are doing something which may seem so insignificantly small in the fact of declaring and, 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 and doing something like sowing in summer, I believe that you are going to, within weeks and months, and as you look back in years, you're going to look back at this moment in history that it's going to have a massive impact. Small act, big impact. Small act, big impact. Let's say that together. Small act, big impact. One more time. Come on. You see, some of the most smallest little acts end up being the greatest impacts. I was over in the States many years ago, and uh, I love Apple products. I love, you know, I've got all of them. And, and so before there was, the, you know, it was just after dial-up kind of internet, and uh, I was over there, and I saw this um, apparatus. I looked at it, and it, it, I kind of read it. It's very small writing there. And I, and I thought, this is just what I need. I need to get internet into my home. And, uh, and so I thought, this is it. This is going to spread internet all over my home. And I, I got back and, and uh, I tried to connect it to my computer and, and I, I couldn't make it work. So I got hold of the best techie in, in the church and he came and for two or three hours he worked and worked and slaved and, and he couldn't get it to work. And what we actually ended up found and found out that this is not a router. You see, I thought this was a router that was going to take data from a, a provider and spread it into my home. What I actually found out that this was, it was just an extender. So what it does is it takes from the router and extends it into the house. It just it extended the internet or from the router. And uh, so it's become an expensive paperweight that sits on my desk. And I leave it there because it is a reminder of this. If you do not know your purpose, you will be lost in life. And you see what I thought was I was buying a router, but it's actually an extender. And God spoke to me this and said, Craig, you are not the router. You are just an extender. You see, when God spoke to Adam and Eve, and he said to them in, in Genesis 1, 20, uh, 28, he said, go and be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take the dominion, rule, and reign of heaven, and bring it to the whole earth. He says, your purpose is to take the rule and reign and extend it to the whole earth. We are extenders of the kingdom of God. But the thing is that the enemy... The arch-rival, the hater of heaven and God, the, the Satan himself, he came. And what he did is, through sin, we all think that we are rooters. And the whole world's going to revolve around us. And we've realized is that what sin does is it makes us selfish and, and self-focused. And we think we are the rooters. But salvation, when Christ came, he turns that inside out, doesn't he? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you really want to know your purpose, when you get connected to the root of Jesus Christ, you will find your purpose, and then you can go and extend the kingdom of God in all the earth. You see, salvation is that process where God restores us back to the original state in which he created mankind before they sinned. Jeremiah 29, 
Oh, we love that verse, don't we? Can you quote it? Jeremiah 29 verse. Oh, man, what does it say? Come on. We love it, don't we? It's brilliant. How many of you love that verse? How many of you got that up in your house? On the fridge, everywhere. You got it, hey? Now, I wonder, have you read the chapter that that verse is in? Anybody read the context? Oh, we don't like it. Well, who cares? But every verse has a context. So do you know what the context of that is? Well, let's just quickly have a look at it. Because in Jeremiah 29, you've got to see that what's happening is, is people, the nation of Israel, are in captivity. In fact, they've been disobedient. They've rebelled against God. They, have bec- they thought that they were the rooters instead of the extenders. They've lost their purpose. They don't understand the plans of God. And you may be here this morning and, and you've, you've come in and maybe you, a friend has brought you or you, you're genuinely seeking to understand what is the purpose that you're on this planet for. You've come to the right place. Because the creator God, the one who created the universe and created us, created us with a purpose, with plans. And those plans are to extend the kingdom of God, not to be the kingdom. Not to be the rooter, but to be the extender. And into this context here we see Israel has got self-absorbed, self-worship. They started to worship idols. They started to worship themselves. They rebelled against God, and so God took them into captivity, took them away into Babylon. And in that place, as Jeremiah had prophesied, they would go for 70 years. So many of the Israelites were there in, 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 in Babylon in captivity, and they're going, we're going to go back in 70 years, so let's not do the things that we would normally do. But Jeremiah starts to prophesy, and this is what he says. In verse 4, he says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts to the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem, He says, build houses. What? Yeah, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. In other words, kind of settle down, take wives, have sons, daughters. Do life. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. What is that? Grandchildren. Okay? Multiply there and do not decrease. You see... What they were doing is they were just thinking three meals deep. And Jeremiah comes and says, I don't want you to think three meals deep. I want you to think three generations deep. So how are you living your life? Are you living just for today, for tomorrow, for this month? Are you trying to scrape through this month? How many of you have got more month than your money? How many of you got more things to do on your list than you have in the day? Time. And we're living these busy lives, and our lives are being consumed with ourselves, and we're being self-focused, and we're not understanding the purposes of God. And we're living for ourselves, or just at least for, for, for what I can gather, what I can put together for me. And in the context of the plans and purposes that God has for us, is in generations deep. So he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city or seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, and you will find welfare. Here is the principle. When we seek others first, God will give to us. And where do we got to go to? Three generations deep. Proverbs says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's a huge challenge for me as I have, we've just come into this as grandparents and they just turned one and I look at these kids and I'm going, how am I thinking about them and then them, their children? How am I living in someone that has had five generations deep and a minister of the gospel in every single generation for five generations? How am I thinking about the third generation? And then he gets, for I know the plans and the purposes that I have for you, declares the Lord. See, if we don't know our purpose, we'll sit on a shelf. We'll sit on the desk as an expensive paperweight. But when we know our purpose, we'll be extenders of the kingdom of God. You say, Craig, okay, how? Well, there's so many ways, but I, I just think that um, there are three things, three, three ways that I believe that we can engage with God over this next season in sowing in summer. The first one is to sow our lives. And I believe that God is calling us to sow our lives. Just come with me to, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter f- 15, if you could go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is talking about the resurrection um, from the dead. And uh, I don't want to get into the big theological thing there, but there is something here that I think would release us. Um, And verse 35, he says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So there's a a question going on here that Paul is writing to the church. But he, he says this in verse 36. He says, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it does. So we know that, don't we? Is that we put a natural seed in the ground, it does so that it can live again. And it's in that process, that, that's, the, that's the kingdom process. Unless I die, I can't live to resurrected life and eternal life. So I've got to sow my life. And, and I, what I loved so much yesterday at Game Changers in the afternoon was they were giving report back of, of people getting baptized. And there was baptism after baptism after baptism. And I love baptisms. And I believe that there's been something of a revival recently within churches across that I'm hearing and seeing is that there's a revival or a reviving of dying to live. And uh, uh, we get people and, you know, we try and get them on a testimony. And, and, and before they, they get baptized, we do it on the big screen and people come up. And, and I think I was hearing this, this thing. I, I'm getting baptized because Jesus was baptized. I'm getting baptized. I'm following the, 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 the example of Jesus. And I, I began to think, I think, Jesus is baptism. And when I asked some people, I said, why are you? And they said, no, no, because Jesus got baptized. I want to be baptized. I said, do you know what kind of baptism Jesus had? And they go, what? I said, he was baptized in death. The baptism that John gave Jesus was a baptism of repentance. The baptism that Jesus and the one that we follow is a baptism of death. 
Because Jesus was baptized on a cross in the most cruel and horrific way. Was, was slaughtered as a lamb. That's the death. And, and so, hey, all we get to do is go in a bit of cold water. But what we're doing is we are having a testimony that I died and now I am risen to life in Jesus. My, die, my life is gone. It's finished. It, I am no longer live for myself. I live for the king. I am no longer a rooter or trying to attract things to me. Is now I become an extender of the kingdom of God. And I don't become an extender until I have died and I live for Christ. And I, I think that as many of, as I've begun to preach and teach that, it's just into, I, I, I took a couple of Tuesday nights, I just said to the church, um, anybody stuck in their growing and in their walk with Christ, you, you come along. I'll give five Tuesday nights to helping you grow. And uh, I said it, and then people came, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I wasn't sure, you know, and what do you do in five weeks? But it's been incredible to see how, as people take a step, and one of the big things was baptism. I mean, Ryan, have you been baptized? Have you, do you know why you're baptized? No, yeah, well, okay, no, I'm scared, I'm this or whatever it is. And over the five weeks, everyone that wasn't baptized got baptized. And uh, there's been a, a revival in a sense of that as people have found their purpose, that they are extenders of the kingdom of God. But it comes by sowing our lives. And friends, I'm asking us is that in sowing in summer, the first thing we do is sow our lives. And I'm saying, oh, you're, I baptize, I understand that, Craig. But you know what? What I have to do is that I have to die daily so that Christ, Christ may live in the fullness. You know, the f- godliness, someone has described as the fullness of Christ fully formed in me. And the fully formation, the full formation of Christ in me comes through me dying and Christ living. Can I ask you, life changes? Is in sowing in summer? Let's sow our lives. Let's be Sir uh, Reverend Thomas Slater's. Prepared to, to go. Let's be the playfairs. Let's be those that God is calling us to again afresh sow our lives. I love your theme for the year is pioneers, pioneering, doing it again, doing it again, pioneering. Now, I'm a pioneer. I'm a, I'm a ideator futurist. Um, you know, Andy drags me into the present. I'm always wanting to go into the future. Uh, that's how God's given. That's part of the gift that God has placed within me is I'm going, guys, there's more than before. But into that, I'm a pioneer. And uh, I find the reality of what pioneers are like. In Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8, it says, He who digs a hole will fall in it. And he who breaks through a wall will be bitten by a snake. I've always thought, why is that in the Bible? I mean, what does that even make until God showed me? He says, that's you. I said, yeah, Lord, that's me. Every time I break through a wall, I get bitten by a snake. And it's like, but that's a pioneer. Those are those that go ahead, and we're the first in there, and so we take the hits. 
But as a church, I've got to say, keep yourself and your heart soft, but keep pioneering. Because, you know, when you go through, break a wall, get into the next, can, take a hit, get bitten by a snake, you go, oh, I'm going to just settle you. Don't settle. Sow your life again. Sow your life again. Sow your lives again. Sow your lives again. Come on. Sow our lives again. Um, What is the time? Where is the clock on this place? All right, I've got exactly whatever. Where is my timekeeper? Okay, you just, you give me this, okay. You help me on my thing. All right, where am I? Let me go to the quickly, the next. Sowing, so we've got to sow alive. That's the first, in sowing in summer. Second thing I'm asking and, 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 and wanting to, to encourage, prophesy, release the seed. Release the seed of faith. I trust that the words that I'm sharing, the scriptures, you will take them down if God is speaking to you in that, and then that you will take them and sow them into good soil within your heart. You see, I find a lot of people that they come and, and they go, amen, brother, that's really good. They come to me afterwards and they go, that was a good word, Craig, thank you. And I'm going, oh, I hope it gets to your heart. I don't say that because... They probably hit me, but I'm going, you know, the longest journey of any truth is from here to here. And, and, and the thing is, if we just take it in here, but we never let it journey to our heart, what happens is the birds of the air come, steal that seed, take it away, and we think we have it, but we don't. I was sharing this yesterday, and then I, um, Wally got up and he said, it's not only a journey from here to here, but it's from a journey from here to my feet. In other words, obedience to it. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? And we can come week after week after week. We get professional listeners that go, amen, brother, great message, but we never do anything about it. Come on. We've got to change that, don't we? We've got to be a people that are going, okay, I'm going to sow my life. I'm going to break through. I'm going to get bitten by the snake, and I'm going to be happy about it. I'm going to fall in the hole, and I'm going to say, I enjoyed the trip. (laughs) Second thing, and this is probably where you don't want to hear it, but we've got to sow our finances. I'm saying, come on. This is about sowing in finances, finances about the future. Seventy people are here. We're in this church when this building was built. Seventy. Seventy people sacrificed to build this building. And we get to enjoy it. And we get to live in it. And we go, woo, thank you. No, no, no. What are we doing for the next generation and the generations to come? Come on, we're living in the blessing of this generation, a previous generation that gave. And you may have even been part of that generation, and you're still here, and you go, I sowed. You say, no, I sow again. And you know what, for me, one of the hardest things has been, see, I'm a pioneer. I said, I'm going to plant a church, and uh, two or three years, I'm planting again. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started businesses. I love those kind of things. And so I love planting churches. And I said, I'm going to plant a church, and then I'm going to go and plant again, and plant again, and plant again. And 22 years later, I'm still in the same place. And I go, God, and it, it comes like... You see, the hardest thing for me is to stay and yet still be a pioneer, to reinvent and so when we bought our property, it was one million rand. 
and we sowed and we gave and we got it. And then it was a little later, we had to add on and add on. And every time I'm giving, I say, tired, Lord, of giving. Rather, can I go to a church where it has everything? I've given mine now. And then we had to build again, and we built the building over our existing one and took the old one down. And we keep going. And, it, every, and then I, I said, Lord, I'm tired of building. And God rebuked me. He rebuked me. I remember that moment. He said, I've called you to be a builder, and you will always build. And since that time, I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> and I do it with joy. Like, when is the next time I can sow? And you see, the thing is for us is that sometimes we, we get, yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I feel like that there's, there's some here that have said, I have paid the price. Friends, I die so that he may live. And I give so that others may come and experience the greatness, the bigness, the glory, and the wonder of God. Come on. In, in Matthew chapter 6, this is a, it's this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. And it's, a, it's an amazing sermon, isn't it? It's very long. Probably about 10 times longer than the one I'm giving. And, uh, and, 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 but he gets to this point and place in the message. Um, should we go there quickly? Let me just quickly go there. It's Matthew chapter 6, if you can do that. Um, I've got 10 minutes. Are you sure? You're sowing in time, all right. So Matthew chapter 6, um, and, and Jesus said match, but he gets to this in the, verse 19, um, and he gets there and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Now, when Jesus is doing that, to understand that I'm not a Greek scholar, but the, there are great Greek resources that help us understand that. Now, when Jesus was using that, the original words there, they would have understood it as this. He was saying, when, he said, do not lay up treasures. This was money. He said, do not put your money horizontally. That's what they would have understood when he was talking. He's saying, do not, do not put your finances horizontally. Okay. He's saying, but lay up for yourselves treasures vertically in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't lay this thing up for yourself and put it horizontally, but stand it up vertically. And the listeners of that day would have understood that when you put money vertically, it's ready for use. So I'm saying, guys, there are times where we go, we're putting aside for us. And Jesus is saying to us, come on, let's have all our money vertical, ready to be used. It's not ours. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? It's ready. And he says, what happens is that when it's vertically, it goes an EFT to heaven. Okay? If you don't, if it lies horizontally in your bank account or in your heart, whatever it is, you lose it. What do you want? What do you want? So then he goes and then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And then the light in your darkness, how great is your darkness? I don't know what was going on there. It was like, didn't make any sense to me. And then it says, okay, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
So when I read that and I looked at it, I said, God, I understand the first part. I understand the second part. But I don't know what the hang is going on in the middle. Because I, I can see that's money. I see this is money. But what is happening? And God spoke to me. He says, that's a hamburger. Now, okay, if God doesn't speak to you like that, that's okay. But to me, he does. And I was like, okay, for me, the hamburger is oh, it's what's in the middle. That's important, isn't it? So I said, okay, God, this is what's important. Why is it important? Help me. And you see, what was happening in that day was that Jesus was speaking in an idiom. Now, if you don't understand an idiom, you become an idiot. If I, I used to travel a lot to, to Brazil, and if I, there, it was, I had to stand up with a translator. And so if I said an old man kicked the bucket, what would you understand? He died. If I go to Brazil and say an old man kicked the bucket, the translator would go, the old man kicked the bucket, and in their mind, they'd be having this old man. Okay? Because it's an idiom, isn't it? Now this, what Jesus is saying, is an idiom. And the idiom was this. What he was saying is, he's saying, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy. So then he goes and he says, but if your eye is bad or is stingy, your whole life will be full of darkness. What he was saying is, if you are generous, your whole life will be full of light. If you are stingy, your whole life will be full of darkness. Ah, I said, okay, I get it. This is about generosity. He says, the thing at the kernel of this is Jesus' teaching a contradistinctive life. You see, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is actually Jesus making a contradistinctive teaching about what the teachers of the law of that day taught and what he was teaching. And he's saying, you take your money and lay it down. You serve money. Money becomes your master. You're not going to be generous, and your whole life is full of darkness. He says, put your money vertically. Be generous, and your whole life gets filled with light, and you serve the master, and, the, and you don't make money your master. See, what we do with our money, how we sow it, and what we do with it is very important. And I'm going, life changes? Sowing in summer? Come on. Take your money out. Put it vertically. Be generous. And watch your life get filled with light. Easy, eh? No, it isn't. Last one, quickly, as I close. I want us, and I believe, is that we... In this season, you're called to sow the word. So we've got to sow our lives, we've got to sow some finances, and we've got to sow the word. One of the things that I have been learning and God has been teaching me is about declaration. Is what am I declaring from my mouth? And uh, I read in Isaiah chapter 42, I think it's verse 9, it says, The former things have taken place. This is Isaiah the prophet. But he says, Behold, the new things are about to take place. Where he says, behold, I declare. That word declare is not to speak. It has a very interesting understanding in the Hebrew. That word declare actually means this. It means to stand out boldly opposite. So it's to say, everyone or the enemy is saying this, but I stand boldly opposite and I say and boldly declare the opposite by faith. I thought, wow, 
So here God is saying, the former things have taken place. Behold, new things are coming. I'm declaring. So we know that when God declares things, it happens. He spoke and the whole world was created. So how do I appropriate that? And I found this very interesting because the first mention of this word declare in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. And, and now Adam and Eve have, were naked and they were not ashamed. And then the enemy comes to them and they take of the, of the fruit that they were not to. And immediately something's happened. What they find is they find Adam and Eve, or God finds Adam and Eve hiding when he comes to the garden. And he says to them, hey guys, um, why are you hiding? And they said to God, because we're naked. And God then answers them and says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? And you know what? The same word as in Isaiah chapter 42. So what God is saying, who declared you naked? Who stood boldly opposite you and declared you naked when I don't? Wow. And what does God do? He takes the enemy and he curses the enemy because the enemy came to them and said, you're naked. And, and, and the thing is, is that when we stand, which side are we going to stand on? Are we going to declare what God says or are we going to declare what the enemy says? The next time it's mentioned is in Noah. Noah builds the ark, saves the, the planet. Eight people come out. He plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. And he's in his tent naked and his son comes in sees him naked, and goes outside, and he tells his brothers, hey, Pops is naked. Now, I always thought he got a bad rap, but actually, it's the same word. He didn't just tell them. He declared his father naked. What happened to the last person being that declared somebody naked? They got cursed. What does God do to him? Friends, we've got to be very careful what comes out of our mouth. What are we declaring? Are we declaring God's word or are we declaring the opposite and the enemy's word? And I believe that not only we've got to sow our lives and that we've got to sow our finances, but we've got to start sowing the word. And it's God's word. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, I declare over your people, your beautiful people, a season of sowing open. As an emissary and as an agent of heaven, I humbly submit to you, but I come in the power and in the anointing of God alone, and I declare over your people and over life changes a season of sowing open. May this season of sowing be so abundant, so prolific, that it would burst out not only with people, but but that people would fill the buildings and there would be no more room left in here, that finances would overflow and that your word would be so powerful it would not return void, but it will accomplish what you have determined it 
to do.